0: Uh, today it's day. Yeah. Oh. Uh, we're going to gather tomorrow for Memorial Day. Uh, oh. the boys make love today. I don't know if so. old will be friends.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Beautiful day on this Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day to all you ladies out there with children here and other places. Let's do a couple of announcements. Uh, let's skip right on down to number five. We just said that. Happy Mother's Day to all our wonderful mothers. Uh, no evening service tonight because of... Uh, the things that are going to be going on, uh, dinners and all that. Uh, item number seven, uh, our sister Carol Atwood has passed away, and the viewing for her is going to be Monday, which will be tomorrow, May 9th, from 4 to 8 p.m. at Muir Brothers Funeral Home, M24 Pierre. Funeral will be on Tuesday, May 10th at 11 a.m. and held at Pilgrim Presbyterian in Metamora. Uh, do we have any other information to go along with that, Terry? Or?
1: Pastor is doing it. He's going to be communicating
0: it. I
2: think there's a lunch afterwards. Uh, at uh, the Lions. At the Lions Hall in
1: LaFleur, In, Lapeer? in, in, Lapeer. in Lapeer.
0: Metamora in Metamora. Lions Hall at Metamora. There will be a luncheon. I didn't get any memo on that one, so I
2: heard
0: possibly I think it is too. we can probably find out all we need to know Monday evening. So. Uh, one additional. Piece of information here uh, There are some gifts in the foyer and I think on the stoop going outside the door there uh, Mothers please avail yourselves to that looks like uh, some plant starter pots and uh, Some other things growing there and uh, please help yourself to those Do we have any other announcements that I'm not uh, Dale
2: I have a question about funeral uh, funeral, is the church going to send flowers, are we going to pitch it for flowers or what? For everybody who wants to do this to you or anything We could take the money out of the benevolent fund. I Just
1: think they requested anything to go to the pregnancy center. I think something. that's Blue will call
0: Make a donation in her name to the pregnancy center.
1: Okay.
0: How does that sound?
1: clears <laughs> that up for me.
0: Okay. Anything else? If there are no other questions or comments, our scripture for meditation this morning is taken from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. That'll be page 1807 in your Pew Bible. Would you kindly stand with us as we begin our service with opening prayer? Elder Clayton, would you kindly lead us?
1: Told us to bring that we might understand and make application of the scriptures. We told not to be years only but ears and we were. Pray that that would be the case. Thank you again for all who have come and for our building and you for your sacrifice.
0: Who's remaining standing?
1: Will you take your red Trinity hymnal? and turn to number 529-529 five, in the red. Remember this from last week? Is this the same one you wanted last week?
0: Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 41. And that will be verses 41 through 57, page 68 in your Pew Bible. And when you come to that, please stand with us.
3: Genesis 41, verses... Chapter 41, verses 41 through 57. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Pot- Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife, and Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food produced in the, those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of
1: You turn to number 404 in
3: your hymnal 404.
2: Our scripture text this morning is Genesis 41. Last Lord's Day we learned that due to dreams which Pharaoh had and which none of his magicians could interpret, the cupbearer's memory was jogged, namely, that he had forgotten to commend Joseph as a man who had been imprisoned unjustly and as one who had rightly interpreted his own dreams two years earlier, which obtained his release. Pharaoh's two-part dream had one singular meaning. Egypt was about to undergo seven years of great abundance in crops, followed by seven years of famine so severe that no one would even recall the years that were good. The famine would affect all the Middle East territories, including Palestine. Pharaoh was so appreciative of Joseph's insight and help that he appointed him vice-regent of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. Joseph became the presiding governor, under which a tremendous agricultural harvest and storage of abundant grain began in preparation for the time when the clouds of heaven would no longer pour forth rain and famine would dry up the entire land. We We learned a couple of valuable lessons. Number one, because we're forgetful people, it's gracious of God to tell us again and again what will happen in our lives. We learn by repetition, and God knows that. So, you know, I've heard people where we've taught and been teaching and Well, some say, oh, I know that. It's almost like that. Oh, I've heard this before. Okay, but have you learned it? Have you applied it? No? Well, then you hear it again and again. That's the way we learn. Secondly, only God can reveal the truth of his revelations to human hearts. Yes, we can read the English words in the text, but only the Holy Spirit can discern the spiritual intent. And lastly, we learn that famine, pestilence, abundance, crop failure is not the indiscriminate outcome of bad weather, but of God, who controls all of those things. By the way, if you want to read some of this, go to the book of Job. And you'll see in the book of Job how God talks to Job and makes him feel about that high. And how does he do that? He explains to Job how God controls the universe and the meteorological outcomes of the entire world. He talks about the lightning, how he sends it to this place and not to that place, how he thunders over here and not over there. He talks about how the rain will come And water the land here and dry over here. And and it's quite a revelation to think about that. Meteorologists, of course, don't believe any of that. uh, Because they're ignorant of God of the Bible and his authority and power over the universe. The creator has control over the creation. And he didn't just create and then say, bye-bye, you're on your own Good luck. No, none of that. If that happened, we would not survive. He has his fingers in the pie all the time in order to keep life moving. Well, today's study focuses on Joseph's new position as vice-regent of Egypt. By the way, I have some history books in my library written by the secularists. And they talk about Joseph's reign in Egypt. They notify it. It's not just something found in the Bible. They have a place for it. I have one book that has the charts all geographically through the ages. This age, that age, this time, this year, that so forth. Boom, right there is Joseph ruling in Egypt and so forth. So it's not just part of the biblical record. It's part of the historical record of men that wrote their histories. But, that said, let us look at Joseph as the vice-regent of Egypt. First of all, it's a lesson on servitude from the past. Look at verse 41 and following. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but but without your word no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt Genesis 41 verses 41 and following that is pretty uh, wide scale statement of Joseph's authority yes there's a Pharaoh but Pharaoh is delegating and putting him in charge Of all of Egypt. So this is a very. Very strange advancement. In our way of thinking. Whoever heard of a ruler. Over a vast kingdom. Assigning a dungeon prisoner. To be his vice regent. Boggles the mind. Yes Joseph provided. Valuable services to Pharaoh by interpreting his strange dreams so that Egypt could prepare for the rough days ahead. But a promotion to vice regent in charge of the whole land of Egypt? Verse 41, verse 43. This is unheard of. Isn't that a little, uh, maybe a little bit going overboard? release the man from prison yes of course pay him a reward for his counsel that's fine but a promotion to share the rule over all of egypt beginning now and lasting at least 14 years this seems outrageously generous Joseph isn't even an Egyptian. Hmm. No, he's a Hebrew slave. (coughs) A Hebrew slave. Imprisoned on the accusation that he tried to assault the wife of Pharaoh's captain of the guard. You see, our thinking goes kind of towards something like, well, you know, a token recognition at best. But the divine text before us will not allow for that. No, Pharaoh gave Joseph his signet ring, verse 42, used as the authoritative signature for all official business approved by Pharaoh. He was dressed in fine linen robes. A valuable and ostentatious gold chain was put around his neck. But even that's not enough. Joseph was put in Pharaoh's chariot. He was paraded through the streets of Egypt. All of that so that he would be declared second in command. Verse 43. Pronouncements with an official tremor rang out. Make way, make way. Literally in Hebrew, the text says, Bow down, bow down. Whoa. Verse 43. And why should the Egyptians bow down to a Hebrew? to Joseph. Joseph, a newly released dungeon slave. This really stretches credibility, doesn't it? Verse 44. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. In other words, Joseph was given broad and sweeping powers to govern as he saw fit. Pharaoh was making it crystal clear. My support for Joseph... Is 100%. So don't mess with him. What he says goes. What he, When he says jump. You say how high. And note. After the seven years of plenty had ended. And the famine was in full swing. Verse 55 says. The people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all of the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Wow. Translation. You're questioning the wrong man. Joseph is in charge of such matters. Ask him and then do as he instructs you. how do we account for such overpowering authority given to Joseph, wherein his orders become the law of the land? And his instruction takes on the authority of royal decrees. Now, it is obvious that as God had been with Joseph in Potiphar's house, and later... In Pharaoh's dungeon, the false narratives circulated about Joseph in no way hindered his advancements in the pagan culture in which he found himself because God was his protector and vindicator. Evil has a master and it isn't Satan. Satan and all the evil that he proposes as well must answer to God. Did you know that? God controls the evil of men. You will undoubtedly recall that in later history in the days of Israel's captivity by the Persians, In the days of Esther, there was a wicked man named Haman who had it in for Mordecai, Esther's cousin, because as a Jew, Mordecai refused to bow down in homage to Haman. And we are told when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down, would not pay him honor, he was enraged. Esther 3, verse 5. And in that rage, he plotted to execute the entire Jewish population in the land. Unknown to Haman, Mordecai had discovered a plot to kill King Xerxes. But he was never recognized by the king for his heroism. But eventually the king was told how Mordecai had saved the king's life and Xerxes asked Haman what the king should do to honor a man for great service. Haman's pride would allow him only to think of himself as the man. Oh, the king must be talking about me. Hmm. so he answered the king for the man the king delights to honor have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and, and a horse that the king has ridden and one with a royal crest placed on its head Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them ride the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse throughout the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once! The king commanded Amon, get the robe, get the horse, do just as you have suggested. For Mordecai the Jew. <laughs> Mordecai? Oh wait a minute. For Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate, and do not neglect anything you have recommended. Esther 6, verse 7 and following. Oh my. (laughs) My, my. What a letdown. What a shocker that must have been for wicked Haman. In secret, he was plotting genocide on all the Jews in Persia because of his wounded pride. But now he had to honor the very man with the prestige and position afforded the king's favors. My point is that the ancient cultures did not view servitude simply as a way to put down and denigrate the people they conquered. It's really unique when you think about this. No. In all fairness, they elevated and honored even low slaves. Think about it. Joseph, Mordecai, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, abed Rahab, others, they're all all lifted up by the authorities and praised. The authorities in whom they saw promise of honorable service. And they weren't colorblind. They did not judge a person by the color of his or her skin, the broken accent of their speech, the impoverished conditions in which they live. Joseph's elevation by Pharaoh is the stellar example. It's a shepherd boy of all things. He doesn't own anything. I remember when. Rudy Giudiani was running for mayor of New York City. And he had a theme night. The theme was how to make America safe again. Why would he have a theme like that? Well, because the police officers in New York City were being ambushed and killed. That's why. That's why. But when those police officers came to save your life because you were in danger, they did not ask if you were black or white. They just came to save you. I see that Trump has adopted this slogan, too, as part of his campaign. Make America safe again. There's no white America, there's no black America, there's just America. Fabril had no reservations of making a Jew the vice-region of his kingdom. And the Christian philosophy of the Bible is that all men are created in the image of God, which our founding fathers defined as all men are created equal. Joseph had an honorable family. But simple. Marriages in biblical times were often made to cement political alliances. And yet, there was no Jewish settlement in Egypt. Joseph's brothers and his father Jacob were still in Palestine. Along with their sizable families. Chapter 42. Joseph is age 30. When he began to serve as vice regent verse 46 14 years later he would be in his mid 40s was he never to have a family of his own a wife a children it is not that Joseph could not rule successfully unless he was married but such would be difficult to achieve in a culture where family was as important status symbol. We think of Mother's Day today. And how important they are. It's a solid family structure. There was a documentary film on Elizabeth, daughter of King Henry VIII of England. And much of the politics of her day was centered around trying to find a suitable, may I say, an acceptable husband for her. From France, from Spain, suitors were paraded before her and interviewed by her, all with the goal that she would find out, one, compatible enough to become her husband. Well, it never happened. It never happened. After years and years of searching for the right man, she declared herself, I'm going to be the virgin queen. And she ruled England on her own, alone, and unmarried. But this was very rare indeed in the political climate of the day, and it was rare in Joseph's day, and it's rare in our own political day. America is as much interested in the families of the candidates running for president as they are in the candidate, his or herself. They see a married person as one who is more stable, more committed to others, And we see this as a matter of maturity. Many a single person has been challenged by his or her parents with the statement, it's time for you to settle down, get married, raise a family. Moms say that all the time. They want grandchildren. And with this in mind, it should not surprise us that Pharaoh gave Joseph, Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On to be his wife. Note. This is not Potiphar's daughter but Potipharah priest to the god On O-N Asenath Egyptian means she belongs to the goddess Nith, and Potipharah which is Egyptian, means him who Ra, the ray, the sun god, has given. It's a pagan culture, and their gods are pagans. Nath was the goddess of war and of hunting, portrayed with bow and arrow in defense of the nation. And of course, Ra is the sun god in Egypt, said to be the creator, the sustainer of life. Clearly, Joseph was marrying into a pagan family with idolatrous concepts of God. The Bible is clear that God is one, not many, and that he is not the product of human invention or craftsmanship. The psalmist put it this way, For all the gods of the nations are idols, Hebrew, good for nothing. That's what the word idol means. Worthless. All the gods of the nations are worthless. But the Lord made the heavens. Oh. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 96 verse 5 and following. That's our God. Or again the psalmist writes, The idols of the nation are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. Nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, praise the Lord. O house of Aaron, praise the Lord. Get your eye going in the right direction. Psalm 135, verse 15 and following. In the day of Jeremiah... The prophet gave the challenge. Do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? Hmm. Do the skies themselves send down showers? No. It is you, O Lord, our God. Therefore, our hope is in you. For you are the one who does all this. Jeremiah 14, verse 22. And two chapters later, he would go on to say, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Do men make their own gods? Yes. Yes. But they are not God's. I'm reading scripture. Therefore I will teach them. This time I will teach them by power and might. Then they will know that my name is the Lord. Jeremiah 16 verse 19 and following. Now Joseph is between a rock and a hard place. He must marry for political acceptance and respect as vice-regent of Egypt, how's he going to compensate for the idolatrous atmosphere in which he finds himself? Good question. How will he maintain his faith in Jehovah? Verse 15. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. And he said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Genesis 41, verse 50 and following. At this juncture, Joseph has no knowledge that his father Jacob is still alive. So the best name for his firstborn son is Manasseh, forget dad and my evil brothers, and Ephraim, the secondborn, meaning fruitful. Bless where I'm at now in Egypt in my new life. So there's a sense in which Joseph sees himself disenfranchised from his family his wife is Egyptian his children are Egyptians how then does he keep his connection with Jehovah God of Israel that's a good question skip ahead to Genesis 48 which is after Joseph's brothers are reconciled to him in Egypt after his father Jacob is reunited with him watch what Jacob does to set matters right concerning Manasseh and Ephraim. Verse 3 and following, Genesis 48, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, this is Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. How now then... Your two sons, born to you in Egypt, before I came to you there, will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them, they will be yours in the territory of they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. Genesis 48 verse 3 and following. I want you to hear the significance of this. Jacob adopts Joseph's Egyptian can I say idolatrous offspring as his own and he makes them part of the kingdom of God. Ooh. Egypt, brethren, in scripture represents the world, the secular, the pagan, the idolatrous that worship everything from the sun god of our solar system to Isis, goddess of sexuality and reproduction. Anything, everything devoid of real might, real power, everything evil destined for defeat and destruction in the age to come. That's Egypt. Like Manasseh and Ephraim we were part of that pagan godless world. We were born in the far country away from God. In Adam we were disenfranchised, robbed of a spiritual inheritance with God taken from all that was holy and good. That was us. David put it this way, we're aliens. We are strangers in your sight as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow. They are without hope. First Chronicles 29 and verse 15. Paul writing to the Gentiles at Rome to encourage them says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. Hmm. I will call her my beloved one who is not my beloved one. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. Romans 9, verse 25 and 26. Hosea the prophet and Matthew writing of the redemption of Jesus from having fled to Egypt. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Matthew 2.15 applied it to Christ, but not only so for all of us who were Egyptians' children before God. In his grace, like Jacob of old, God adopted us and made us part of the family of God. Paul writing of the Greek pagan background of the Ephesian church says he, God, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So it's just like Jacob did with Joseph's pagan sons. In him we have redemption. We're brought back through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Ephesians 1, verse 5 and following. And in the next chapter... Ephesians 2, 19 and following. Consequently, they were foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Like Joseph's family, born and bred in idolatrous cultures with pagan view of life, but in the end adopted into the family of God. Think of that. God did not abandon Joseph in Egypt. and he hasn't abandoned you either. Now what about Joseph's work as a vice regent? He did have a task to do. Well, number one, he supervised the harvest and storage of the produce in the good years of productivity. Verse 46 tells us, that he was 30 years old when he went from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. He made a survey. He took a census of how many people there were to feed, and he made an assessment of how many farms were available to produce crops. Mostly, he laid down the law as to what was to be sown and reaped and stored in the greeneries of Egypt. Verse 34, a fifth of the harvest. Is what he concluded. Verse 47. During the seven years of abundance. The land produced plentifully. How plentifully? Verse 49. Huge quantities of grain. Like the sand of the sea. That's a Hebraism by the way. It's like a figure of speech. In Hebrew, Like the sands of the sea. It's to say. There's so much harvest you can't count it you can't count it all it was so much that Joseph stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure you know that God was in this to be sure we remember that when God wanted to punish wicked Ahab and Jezebel for leading the nation of Israel into idolatrous worship, what did he do? He shut off the water tap in the heavens, and he prophesied through Elijah. Now Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. God can't do that. Yes, God can do that, and he did do that. James reports Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. James 5, verse 17. Wow. Notice, too, how Joseph managed the harvest and the storing of the grain. Verse 48. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. In other words, there were going to be no slackers when it came to pitching in and helping to prepare for the hard times to come. You want to eat? Okay. Then plow the field surrounding your own town and sow the seeds necessary to sprout and produce a bumper crop. Paul tells us the same concerning the church, which in New Testament times often ran food distribution centers for God's people, according to Acts 6.1. Speaks of the daily distribution of food to the widows, which somehow neglected the Greek constituency in the church. Paul says, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people, we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down and earn the bread.